At this time of the year, many churches would normally be decorating their buildings with flowers, fruit and vegetables, ready for their harvest celebrations, and singing those old traditional hymns, such as, We plough the fields and scatter. Often too, local schools will have a harvest assembly and urge us to donate some tins for a local charity. Hi there, my name's Andy and I want to just tell you a little bit about harvest. We're going to have a few thoughts about harvest today. But first I want you to look at these letters and see if you can work out what the word is. If you're very clever, you might have spotted that the word is creation. But if you're good with words, you might notice that it could also say something else. It could say this, I care not. I don't care. There's a little verse in the Bible, a verse that really challenges me, and it says this. If anyone sees their brother or their sister in need and has the resources to help them, but doesn't, how can the love of God be in them? So a challenge, we can either look at creation and say, I don't care, or perhaps you want to say something different. My challenge to us today is maybe we could say, I care. A big thing for me about the, the whole green agenda is to do with justice. And obviously justice is something that's there throughout scripture. You, you know, Micah 6, 8, act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with, with you, our God. Um, for me, a big part of why I'm involved in kind of green campaigning, activism, being prepared to be arrested, it's because of justice. You know, the, the way that we choose to live our lives um, adversely affects people who are at the other end of the social spectrum. You know, it's, it's the poor who suffer because of the way that we choose to live our lives. And it's something that as community, I think we have to acknowledge that, yeah, there's a lot we can do to change the way that we live. A lot of it's really hard, and there are some things that some people can't do, but we are all complicit. And I think we have to acknowledge that, you know, the way that I live my life is affecting the rest of the world. And as a Christian and as a Franciscan, I have to do what, what I can do to, to change that impact, to bring justice as far as I can to everybody. It's, it's really hard, but, but the call is there. Yet, I wonder, how often do we really think about harvest, about food, and where our food comes from? Uh, in the industrial age, we are completely disconnected through, to uh, the turning of the seasons and uh, the, 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 uh, the way things work, seasonal fruits and vegetables, because we can, we can get any fruit and any vegetable we like at any time of year. We have no idea what kind of season they are. If you ask anybody what season asparagus comes in, they probably won't know. You know so, so because we, we can go and get some or, or whatever it is. Um, we can go and get something from the supermarket or the shop or something. Um, and, and actually, that, that disconnects us from our own being as well. We are uh, made as human beings to be a part of the season, to be a part of the turning cycle. We are in a symbiotic relationship with the earth itself. Jesus cares that in a rich person's shampoo possibly has more nutrients 
than in a poor person's weekly food allowance. Jesus cares that an avocado probably has been to more places than I have and has a huge carbon footprint. Jesus cares about the planet. He cares about the fact that so much of our food comes in packaging that's gonna end up in a landfill. Jesus cares. Jesus cares that tons and tons of food ends up in, in bins, whilst people in this country and in other countries haven't got enough to eat. Christian Aid did a, did a challenge of eating food that had been given, um, that had passed, not quite passed its sell-by date, but would have been binned with a slogan, feed bellies, not bins. Feed bellies, not bins. Jesus cares about it all. So my challenge to us all is how can we think about living and eating differently? So I wonder if you'd explain to us a bit about what Grounded Community is. So we've been a food growing project for about eight, uh, eight years is the, the garden space we have. As a project, we've been set up for five years and we got charity status in January this year. So we have been on a journey of discovery about what it means to engage with the food system in our locality um, around environmental issues um, and also around food supply chains and getting our hands actually dirty and learning the skills that we've lost um, mm. from ages gone past. Um, in many crisis situations in the past, communities have come together um, at the end of the war everyone kept chickens and grew vegetables and swapped and shared um, and kind of we're feeling like there's a bit of a movement with what's just happened in in our society in that in that direction again lots of people are picking up trowels and learning to grow veg in their own gardens it seems incredible that one of the most transformative and indeed subversive things that we can do to change the world is something as simple as growing fruit and vegetables when asked about how to reconnect humanity with creation and uh, realigning ourselves to better and more healthy principles, Archbishop Warren Williams said this, what we need to do is go for a walk, get wet and dig the earth. And there's a saying in Britain about you're nearer God in a garden than anywhere else on earth. It's an idea that the Apostle Paul, in, in Romans chapter 1, um, when he says that actually God is visible and revealed in creation. He says, open your eyes and there it is. By taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created, people have always been able to see with what their eyes, such as they can't see. Eternal power, for instance, and the divine mystery of his being. So nobody has a good excuse. Creation really matters because it points us towards our creator yeah and there's there's a there's a, a whole uh, new monastic community called the uh, saint columba's barn uh, based over in west sussex run by uh, greg valerio great man friend of mine and, and that's their whole ethos oh. is that they are physically uh, running a farm they have animals and they have crops and you know sorts of things and actually his his whole uh, his whole ethos is that if you physically connect with the natural world, you're out there shearing the sheep, or you're out there digging with the trees, or digging with the crops, you're out there clearing, getting the honey out of the hives, 
that's when you connect with God most deeply. You connect with the earth to connect with God. That's the whole ethos. Uh, it's a fantastic group. Over these next couple of weeks, we will be exploring a little bit more about the relationship between our faith and our food. What does harvest mean in an urban and industrial world of 21st century Western society? And we'll be meeting some Christians and other spiritual explorers who are trying to engage and explore around issues of faith and food learning and finding inspiration from some unlikely and surprising places. One group call themselves New Monastics. I actually think that this is a really exciting time to be kicking up some conversation around New Monasticism. I've heard lots of people talking about how we need to live differently when this time of social isolation is over. And I do think that this is a great opportunity for something good to come out of something which has been truly awful. If we find ourselves living differently, living more in tune with our values and what really matters on the other side of this. But without a framework for how to do that, it's pretty impossible. To just want to start living differently doesn't normally result in much. So I think talking about new monasticism can kick off some really interesting discussions about how to do that. Particularly exploring how can we intentionally shape our lives in the way of Jesus after this time of uh, social isolation. New monasticism is just one model that can help us. New monasticism is where a group of people commit to sharing life together, creating shared practices and rhythms inspired by the life and teaching of Jesus in order to build a common life together. My passion for new monasticism didn't come about because I was passionate about monasticism. It came from a desire to find a way of being church that looked more like Acts 2. I was inspired by the way the earliest disciples of Jesus kept his teaching alive, were committed to one another, met in one another's homes, shared meals, prayed together and pulled resources to meet needs. So I started looking for that kind of community where we learned to share life together and had real camaraderie. The second thing I was looking for was discipleship. Through my reading of the Gospels, I could see that when Jesus proclaimed the immediacy of God's kingdom, he was asking for a whole person response. He wasn't just looking to be worshipped, but followed, not just believed in, but he was looking for people who would put what he said into practice. Certainly for me as a Christian, you know, it's, it's something that's just part of the whole of life. It's never been something that's been separate from anything else. And in the last, well, I suppose starting about 14 years ago, I started a journey towards being a third order Franciscan. and realized that um you know that there, there are different ways of, of following jesus so as a third order franciscan i would say that i follow christ in the way of saint francis and a big part of that is creation care So St. Francis, he was around in the, the end of the 12th, uh, beginning of the 13th century. And I mean, he's, he's a great story altogether, but it's quite easy in a way to write St. Francis off because so many people see things like statues of bird baths with um, you know, St. Francis holding the, the bowl for the water. And we have the stories about him preaching to the birds and taming the wolf tend to be the things that everybody knows about him. 
there was far more to him than that because he started a movement although that was never his intention to to follow christ in a very particular way so he talked about being um about lady poverty about following lady poverty and it wasn't about poverty for its own sake it was about living simply um and that's still a big part of being a franciscan today but um, something that really influences Franciscan spirituality is one of the things that Francis wrote, which is called The Canticle of the Creatures. And in it, he talks about all creation as brother and sister. So he talks about brother sun and sister moon, sister water, brother fire, and so on. It's, uh, it's a great bit of writing. Um, but what it, it says to, I think, anybody who cares to listen, and it really speaks to people who are part of the, the green movements at the moment, is that if we truly see creation as brother and sister, then that should truly affect how we treat it. So, you know, if we think of the ocean as being sister water, you know, I know a lot of people have got brothers and sisters they, they find really irritating. But for most people at the end of the day, if somebody threatens someone who's part of your family, you are there sticking up for them and protecting them. So if we were to see the ocean as sister water, we wouldn't be able to fill her up with bits of plastic. We just wouldn't be able to do it. If we expand our understanding of, of what it means to preach the gospel out of words that we use, um, and there's a, there's a wonderful phrase that's often misattributed to Francis for the CC because he didn't really actually say it, uh, which says, uh, preach the gospel all the time, and if necessary, use words. So in, the, in a Protestant stream of church, particularly preaching is, is a real kind of key element of, of what uh, the, the spirit and, and what Christianity is about. Preaching is the thing, speaking is the thing, the words are the thing. Um, but actually, preaching the gospel is more than just the words we say to other people. Preaching the gospel is an ontological thing. It's something to do with our being, who we are, and how we behave. Preaching the gospel, I believe, to all creation includes uh, being very conscious of how we act towards it. We are supposed to be bringing the kingdom to the natural world. We are supposed to be presenting a kingdom lifestyle to the natural world. And, and, and obviously that, that includes being deeply uh, involved in looking after it, caring for it properly uh, and healing it as well in its brokenness. And throughout the Bible, you see people and the earth being, being linked together. You know, there, there's the bit in, um, I think it's Chronicles, where, where God says, you know, if my people will humble themselves and call upon, upon my name, then amongst other things, I will heal their land. You know, it's, it's not just about the people, it's always about the land. Um, you look at the stories that Jesus tells, you know, how often does he bring in a story about creation? He looks around him and he talks about the birds and the flowers and the crops in order to, to make a point about people and God. And then, um, yeah, you know, at, at the end, you've got the, um, in, in Revelation, you know, it's, it's, it's about God and it's about the healing of the land. And the, the bit in um, Romans 8 about um, the whole of creation groaning you know, from my point of view, you can read the salvation story as being about the whole of creation 
I think it's just us that have made it totally people-centred. As Christians, it is part of our calling to be able to uh, stand up and treat the world well. And every Christian that I know is part of Extinction Rebellion and all the, the rallies that I've been to uh, have really been deeply rooted in that understanding. Um, there's a, a, a very intriguing uh, passage in Mark's Gospel. Uh, so in Matthew's Gospel, uh, Jesus commissions the disciples to go into all the world and preach the Gospel. In Mark's Gospel, uh, it says, Jesus says, preach the gospel to all of creation, which is a fascinating phrase because it does literally actually mean the whole of the created order. And uh, as uh, a statement that's, that's uh, usually attributed to Chief Seattle, um, that uh, you know, whatever we do to the earth, we do to ourselves. And I think there's a real growing realization that that's true. So there is a, there is a bit of a, a tension between these two things, I think, in our modern culture. And I think that's certainly been highlighted, I think, with the um, with things like um, Extinction Rebellion and uh, people realising that um, we have a responsibility um, to the earth. I'm very much um, taking the Genesis idea about stewarding and tending and and loving creation as, as God's gift. Absolutely. I, I, uh, for years and years and years, I've been involved in you know, petitions and uh, campaigns and things to try and get the way that the government and the way that big businesses uh, interact with the earth, treat the earth. I've been, for years and years, I've been involved in those kind of campaigns and petitions. I don't think they've worked. And I think that's kind of where Extinction Rebellion came from. Yeah, so last October, I did get arrested for the first time in my life when I was, I was part of a sit-in and we were being asked to move and as I said, I've been a person who has lobbied my MP, I've written to big business, and I was there at the rebellion because I had hit desperation point. You know, that if you believe the, um, the, the figures, we are rapidly heading towards a situation that, that's just unbelievably awful and people are not getting it. So um, I was there, part of a sitting in the road, I was asked to move by the police and I realized that actually, if I chose to stand up and walk away, that it would feel like I was saying to the whole world, if it cared to be watching, that I care about me and my personal safety more than I care about the world that I believe that God gave us. And that's not true, and I couldn't walk away. I've, I've come in for a, a lot of flack from fellow Christians who think that, that being a Christian activist is, is not the right thing to do. And they will quote things like, you know, the fact that as Christians, we're supposed to have respect for those who are in power and authority and things like that. And absolutely. But I, th I think we really have hit desperation level now. And my take on it would be that we sometimes tend to kind of soften what Jesus was and what he did. But actually, he was someone who spoke truth to power and died because of it. I'm hoping that being a climate rebel is not going to come to that. But, you know, we've got a really good example in Jesus of someone who did, you know, go for nonviolent direct action. That was what he did. And if we're supposed to be followers of his, then I think we have to do that as well. The prophets in the 
um, Old Testament too, were people who, who stood up and said no, and said no um, in a way that kind of often caused them lots of trouble. In fact, if you look at Christian history, there have been lots of activists who've done all sorts of things that have got them into trouble, whether it's, you know, sort of Wilberforce or, or Koi Ten Boom or, you know, all sorts of people saying when, when government, um, when their commitment to Christ and their commitment to government um, is, um, is challenged, then they have, then they've chosen Jesus. You know, just like what most people would do, would say, well, let's go for a walk in the forest or whatever. But actually going out with the intention of discovering a deeper connection with the divine that, that flows through the natural world. And so this, going out with the intention uh, of embodying Romans 1 verse 20 to encounter God in the natural world by just being out in it. So that would be my first uh, suggestion, to actually go out and, and be in the natural world. So I feel like my motivation is probably that sense of a bigger picture of looking after our planet and stewarding it well, um, caring about that, caring about the environment and, and the food we eat. The food we eat is very poor quality, even though our standards are about to be reduced further by American imports coming in. Um, but, you know, there are some champions of good food in our country and I think we all need to be on that bandwagon really and making sure that we're, we're putting into our bodies for our children and others is is good is mineral rich and fresh and as good as it can be and the best way to do that is grow your own the the, the little things like the recycling obviously they matter but i think it's bigger than that um so yeah do do all the small stuff do the recycling look at what the food that you buy is wrapped in look at where it's come from Grow your own stuff if you can, support local, all those sorts of things. But, but also, do you know, be a nuisance, hassle other people, talk to your local shop. If they're still bringing in bananas wrapped in plastic, go hassle them a bit. We've got someone in Wareham who, when she goes into Sainsbury's, regularly stops at the checkout and takes off all the unnecessary plastic wrapping from what she's just bought and leaves it at the checkout. They dread her going in but it makes a point and it's getting noticed. So yeah, do everything you can, but be a nuisance as well, whether that means coming and joining Extinction Rebellion or Christian Climate Action and being a major nuisance on the ground in London, whether it means supporting in prayer or whether it means doing the smaller stuff, but don't leave it to someone else. Just do something. <laughs>